I want you to remain seated this morning, a little bit out of the ordinary. I'm going to read quite a bit of passage of scripture out of Job, and I just want you to remain seated. I don't want to feel rushed. Um, so, if you would open up to Job chapter number one. Job chapter number one. I looked at a message that I got up several weeks ago that I have not preached yet. I looked at it quite a bit on Thursday after I preached chapel, thinking that might be what God wanted me to preach this morning. And interestingly enough, it was out of the book of Hebrews on an appointment with death. I felt like God just kind of changed all of that. And um, I'll preach it eventually when God gives me the liberty. But this morning, I want to try if I can to help God's people. <clears throat> I need help. How many of y'all need help this morning? Need help. God's able to help us. All right, so we're going to read a little bit. Let the Word of God just... Let it flow over you. Job 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day. And sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath, on every side thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord, and there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell among them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I, uh, am, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, 
There came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell among the young men, fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips, now when Job's three friends heard of this, all this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with them, with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. I read both the first two chapters of the book of Job there. I want to preach this morning, share a few things, if I can, from God's Word in this book on some things to remember in hard times. Some things to remember in hard times. Let's pray one for another. Lord, we ask you now, if you would, to minister to the people of God, Lord, as we... Look at the story of Job, a very familiar passage of Scripture to those of us who been in church for any length of time. There may be somebody here today that's never heard the story, never, never read the book of Job, never heard of him. But Lord, I pray that you would help us today to glean some things. <clears throat> I pray that you'd help us, Father, with distractions. Lord, there's a lot of getting up, going out, a lot of coughing, a lot of things that the devil could use to hinder the service. And I pray we'd be mindful of that. Lord, I just pray that you would minister to us this morning as only you can. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, make a long story short, this book has been a source of comfort for many people for many years. When we read the book of Job, we sometimes try to put ourselves in this story, though I believe it'd be impossible for us to do that. But this morning, I want to, if I can, just pull a few things out that might help somebody. It helped me as I looked at it, worked on it yesterday. 
By way of introduction, I want to just look at four things quickly, and then we'll jump right into the points. But I want you to notice Job's testimony. Job's testimony, when we read the story that we just read, it's hard to imagine something like this happening to somebody like Job. If we were looking at a person that was living in gross disobedience or sin, we could imagine the chastening hand of God. We could imagine God allowing things like this to take place. But when we read the book of Job, we find in Job chapter number one, verse one, there was a man that was perfect and upright and one that feared God and astute evil. What a testimony this man had. The Bible tells us that he was the greatest man in the empire, according to verse number one. The Bible tells us in verse number three that he was the greatest man in all of the East. What a testimony that was. But as that weren't enough, no less than twice, God said that there's none like him in all of the earth. God said it in verse number eight of chapter one. He said it again in chapter two and verse Number three, none like him in the earth. Job was, can we say it, the most righteous, the most godly, the most God-fearing man, the purest man, the holiest man on the planet. Now, when we read this story, it's hard for our minds to compute. And this morning, I want to just remind you that no matter how godly or holy or saved a person might be. No amount of holiness and no amount of righteousness and no amount of commitment and dedication and faithfulness in a person's life will eradicate the curse that is on this earth and that is on us. God's people still have to work by the sweat of their brow. God's people still have pain in childbearing. God's people still have to contend with the thorns and the thistles and God's people still have to deal with Satan and the demons of hell and living right does not rid us of the simple fact that we are on this earth. and We will face hard times. If Job did not, was not able to fly under the radar, if you will, of hard times. How much more should you and I never expect to get away from having hard days and hard times? We see Job's testimony. Secondly, we see Job's treasure. The Bible goes to great length to tell us about his wealth. He had seven sons and three daughters in verse number two. Of all the things that he had and all the things that are listed in verse three, I dare say, that he treasured his family more than anything else. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. That's a lot of camels. 500 yoke of oxen. If you put two in a yoke, that's 1,000. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses. I was just thinking this morning, Brother Adriel, 500 she-asses. That means that every time, every year, they could have 500 more. I'm no rocket scientist, but I think I'm right on that. The Bible says he had a great household. In verse number three, servants. God blessed Job in unbelievable ways. No doubt 
there were people that envied Job. No doubt there were people that looked at Job's life and said, I wished I was him. No doubt people looked at Job and they thought to themselves, he must be God's favorite. Look at all that God's blessed him with. Look at all that he has. We'd say it in 2023, we'd say it like this, he's got it going on. We see his treasures. But then we see, thirdly, Job's troubles. And again, we are reminded that in spite of his testimony and in spite of the fact that God had obviously blessed this man in ways that many people would only dream of, he still had hard days. Satan attacked Job in every area of his life. Literally every aspect of his life, Satan stepped in in chapter one and chapter number two. And the Bible's clear in chapter two, verse number six. And I saw it again this morning. The only thing he had left was his life. That's all he had left was the breath he breathed. Everything else was taken away. Satan attacked Job with his crops in chapter 1, verse 15. Took away his crops. Took away his caretakers and his commerce. Took away his children. In chapter 1, verse 18. Took away his comfort in chapter 2, verse number 7. As he's sitting there in ashes, smitten with boils from the top of his head, to the bottom of his feet, and many of you have had a ball or two. Can you imagine having those from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet? Attacked his comforts, attacked his companion in chapter two, verse number nine. His wife is standing over him, urging him to just curse God and die. See his troubles. And everybody in here has experienced difficult times. We would really probably put us all on edge if we were to pass the microphone around and say, tell us about all your troubles. Tell us all about your hard times. Tell us all about the difficult days you've had in your life. I think after about 20 minutes, we'd run out screaming, pulling our hair. But I believe we would have to be honest this morning if we acknowledge that even though we've all lost family members to unexpected death, we've all had our share of struggles and adversity, there's not a one of us in here that can come close to relating to the pain and the difficulty that Job experienced in these two verses. Not even close. Your worst day, all of your worst days put together cannot come close to this one day in Job's life. Which brings me to my fourth point by way of introduction. We see Job's trust in chapter one and verse number 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. What does it take to hinder your worship? 
What would God have to bring into your life? What kind of a day would you have to have? What kind of difficulty or trial or trouble or, or affliction would you have to encounter for it to interfere with your worship? It didn't interfere with Job's. Look at the next verse. And he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. Can I say it? Job did not have what we have today in our society, and that is an epidemic and a plague of entitlement. I was naked when I got here, and I'm going to be naked when I go. Anything that I get between those two days is nothing but the grace and mercy and goodness of God. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither, the Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was a good man. Job was a very good man. He experienced very hard times. He also sinned not, verse number 22 of chapter 1. He sinned not in all this. Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That word charge means to utter, to speak, or to assign, to bestow, or to report. We would say it like this. He didn't assign or utter or bestow blame or accusations upon God in all this. What an amazing man. The word foolishly in verse 22 means empty or folly or unseemly. So in verse number 22, in all this, Job sinned not nor blamed or accused God in an unseemly or foolish manner. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't say that. But I want to give you a couple of things this morning. Simple, simple, simple thoughts that might help you if you're going through a hard time. Number one, there are some aspects God just does not let us know about. Now, I know it's hard for you and I to remind ourselves that we don't know it all. But we don't know it all. I mean, in chapter number one, there are conversations taking place in heaven that Job had no idea was going on. There were conversations in Job chapter two that Job still had no idea what was going on. And I thought about this. This is, this is so profound to me. Because we think that if we just knew, we can handle it better. Let's just be honest. If God had told Job, about the conversation going on in chapter number one, it might have done more harm than good. I mean, we think, well, if I just knew what God was doing, I can handle it better. If you knew what God was doing, it probably would be a stumbling block to you. You're better off, I'm better off not knowing. I mean, I read, I read chapter number one and I got a problem with it. I got a problem with God sicken, as we say down south. We're Georgia dogs fan. Sicken. 
He sicked the devil on Job in chapter number one, straight up. I don't care what you say. I've gone to and fro. Hey, devil, what you been doing today? Going to and fro up and down the earth, looking for somebody to destroy. Hey, you thought about Job? Why don't you just put a big old bullseye on the best man on the planet? Why don't you? Huh? I read that and I'm thinking to myself, why? God, why would you do that to him? I've asked God why he does things in my life. Now listen to me. Let, let, me, let me say something here. And I, I want to help you. It's okay to ask why. Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I'm going to be honest with you. I believe in my heart of hearts he knew why. And he still asked why. He knew why. He knew that a thrice holy God could not look at him. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew good and well why God couldn't look at him and he still asked why. He was God. Say with me y'all. If God can ask God why. If God the Son can ask God the Father why. That's not the problem. But I still think this morning that we are mistaken in assuming that if we knew why, that we could handle it better. And apparently God begs to differ because he chooses to not tell us. He chooses to not tell us. I'm reading verse number five. That God, that Job sent and sanctified his children, rose up every morning and offered sacrifices to pray for his children. And they all get killed. And your first thing is, well, what good does it do to pray then? What good does it do to pray for God to put up a hedge around about your family if he's going to pull it up whenever the devil asks him to? Anybody's phone ringing this morning? What, what good does it do to pray for traveling mercies if Christians can get killed in car wrecks and plane crashes? What good does it do? And I know people that sit around and they beat themselves up. Oh, I didn't pray for them to have safe traveling mercies this morning. Like God standing over them with a sledgehammer waiting to kill them the one split second that you forget to pray for them. Are there questions I don't have answers to? You better believe it. And I ain't too, I ain't too uh, insecure this morning to tell you. I just know this. I know if God had given Job's a head, heads up, he still wouldn't have been able to make it make sense. There's things happening that you and I don't know about. We get tunnel vision when we're going through hard times. Yes, Let's be honest. We get one dimensional. We get, we get very tunnel vision and pretty much our whole thought pattern revolves around what it's doing to right. us Amen. and how we feel about what's happening. Yes, I wish I could stand up here this morning 
and tell you that I haven't asked God questions about this whole situation with Sister Sasser. But I'd be lying to you. Where the leader was with me in the truck when we drove up there, immediately getting a phone call Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock. Got in the car. Of course, it's Friday afternoon, rush hour. Everybody's getting off of work. Took us an hour and a half to get up there. And I was chafing. I was chafing at the traffic. I was chafing at the time it was taking us to get up there. I was glad I didn't go to Salisbury. I was supposed to go to the basketball game. It was Zane's first basketball game, and I wanted to be there for that, and I couldn't get peace to go. It's about two and a half hours the other way. I just couldn't get peace to go. I said, I'm going to stay. I was glad I stayed. But I'm going up the road, and I'm, I'm verbalizing what many of you were verbalizing. I said, God could have took Miss Sasser last week. He could have waited till her husband got home Thursday. Why did God let him get all the way to Israel? Over there doing humanitarian relief work. And let her pass at home by herself. Now, if none of y'all ask that question, I'm happy for you. But I asked it out loud with Brother Leader in the truck. Did I not? I said, you can't help but ask. Right, right. You're preaching now. Because we think, well, that just doesn't make sense. We think that is the worst time for that to happen. It couldn't have happened at a worse time. That's what we say. Like Job 1 or Job 2 or any semblance of that, there's ever a good time for a bad time. There's never a good day. There's never a day that we're going to circle on our calendar and say, Lord, if you're going to unload the truck, do it on this day. I'll be ready. No, you're not going to be any more ready that day than you are today. Brother Sasser and I were on the phone, both of us weeping. He said, Preacher, I've got no questions, no doubt whatsoever. I am in the perfect will of God being in Israel today. I was supposed to be here. I don't know it all, but I know that. I said, that's all you can say. I don't know it all, but I know that. Is everybody still with me? There's just some aspects that God does not let you know. Now, he may let you know later. And that's a blessing when months later, weeks later, months later, years later, somebody says, oh, when you was going through this trial, blah, 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 and, and, and God used that, and you go, okay, well, that makes sense but you don't see it when it's happening. God's not obligated, stay with me. God is not obligated to bring you in on the loop on everything he says and does. Those of you parents that you've got children, there's things you don't tell your children. If you're, if you're wise, you don't. You don't talk about it in front of them. You don't talk about it in front of them. They can't handle it. And if you told them, they still wouldn't understand it. There are some aspects God just doesn't let us know. Number two, there are some attributes God wants us to show. Right. See, there were some things that God wanted to see out of Job. If for no other reason, and there were more than one reason, but if for no other reason, just based on the conversation that he had with Satan in chapter one and chapter number two, there were some things God wanted to see out of Job just to show the devil. Right. Yes, sir. Right. Just to show the devil. Yes, sir. Yes. 
three things, at least three things, just quickly, I'm hurrying. God wants us to show our loyalty to him when we're going through hard times. See, because here's what the devil said. The devil said, does Job serve you for naught? <laughs> In other words, you bought him off. That's what you did. The devil's looking at God and saying, you have bribed him into serving you because of all the camels and all the she asses and all the, all the, all the camels. Yeah, you, you bought him off. He don't care nothing about you. You pull the plug on all the benefits. Pull a plug on all the blessings. And you'll find out what he thinks about you. And the devil looked at him and said, go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. You know, it occurred to me one day when I was reading these verses that the devil, that God many times has more confidence in us than we have in ourselves. When he looks at Satan and says, go ahead. He said, he's going to curse you to your face. God said, no, he won't. Go ahead. Try him. Sometimes God allows us to have hard times just so we can show him, the devil, and anybody else that's watching how loyal we're going to be to the God that saved our souls from hell. I mean, if it wasn't for God, many of you would be in hell right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brother Bittner, you think you'd be as old as you are if you hadn't got saved when you got saved? You was on your last straw. And many of you in here were. You were one bottle away. You were one injection away. You were one snort away. You were one car ride away from hell when he saved you. What's he got to do for you to turn your back on him? Huh? Maybe he just wants you to show your loyalty. Maybe he wants to use you to show the devil how wrong he is. He's an accuser of the brethren. If you think the devil hasn't stood before God and said that about me and you, you're crazy. You let me at him. You let me at him. Let me give him a bad day. You'll find out real quick how loyal they are. God says, well, let's find out. Let's find out. God wants us to show our loyalty to him. Secondly, God wants us to show our faith in him. See, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to trust him and listen to him and walk with him when everything's going great. It's easy. That's why the marriage vow says for better or for worse. In sickness and in health. This commitment is for the good days and the bad days. This vow is for when I'm having a great life and when life's not going so great. My commitment is still there and our faith in God stands and is tested when we're having hard times. His wife said in Job chapter two, verse nine, dost thou still retain that integrity? Curse God and die. Why don't you just curse God as if that's, what you really want to do. I know that's what you want to do. I know that's what you're thinking about doing. Won't you just go ahead and curse God and die? Let him just kill you. Job said, thou speakest as one of the foolish women. You're, honey, you're talking like a lost woman. 
You're talking like a woman that don't know God. He said, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Thirdly, God wants us to show our dependence upon him. In Job chapter five, verse number eight, Job said, I would seek unto God and unto God would I commit my cause. Mm. Very easy in a time of blessing and prosperity to forget just how desperately we need God. God wants to remind us sometimes that no matter how spiritual we are and how much we got it going on, we still need him. Turn over to chapter 40 right quick. Let me show you something. Job chapter 40. We're talking about dependence upon God. You never get so spiritual. You never get so close to God. You never get so blessed of God that you and I do not every minute of every day need him. In Job chapter 40, verse number 6. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. A little toxic masculinity coming at you. Brace yourself. Snowflakes, be advised. It's about to get real up in here. Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? There's no court of appeals. <laughs> when he, hey, when he renders a verdict, that's it. Yes, yeah. Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? We're referring to he sinned not nor judged God, charged God foolishly. By the way, when you and I charge God foolishly, what we're saying is you're wrong, God, and I'm right. Yeah. right. That's what we're saying. That's exactly what we're saying. And he looked at Job and he said, wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Are you, gonna, are you capable of being right, ever being right and me ever being wrong? Hast thou an arm like God? My arm's been hurting me for weeks right here. I said something about it the other day. I said, how can you have tennis elbow and never play tennis? I got this pain right here. It hurts to pick up a quart of buttermilk. It hurts. It hurts to pick up my suitcase, my luggage, right there. I feel like there's a nail. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm falling apart. So weak. So weak. No, seriously. I'm so weak. Hey, have you got an arm like God? Canst thou thunder with a voice like him? I can't. I preached eight times last week and I'm hoarse. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Go ahead. God said, I want to watch you. I want to watch you deck yourself with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Go ahead. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath 
And behold, everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. The world is full of wicked people, evil people. And there's not a one of us that don't say from time to time, I wish God would do something about that man. I wish God would do something about that crowd. You know what God said to Job? Why don't you go ahead and do something about it? You, 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 you tread him down. You abase him. You bring him low. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. He said, and if you can do all of that, then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. But until then, you need God. Amen. Huh? Go ahead, deck yourself in beauty and glory. Go ahead and array yourself in majesty and put all the wicked people in the dust and abase all the proud. When you take care of that, then I will tell you that your, right, your own right hand can save you. But until then, you need God. Right. We all walked in here this morning with heavy hearts. We all walked in here this morning, and I'd already told the staff, I told my wife, I said, we're not having a funeral Sunday morning. We're going to have church. But we've got heavy hearts. We walked in here this morning, and you know what every one of us needed this, this Sunday morning that we might not have thought we needed last Sunday morning? God. Sometimes we need to remember in hard times that God just might us to recognize we need him. Lastly, but not least, number three, there are some areas God wants us to grow. We're talking about some things to remember in hard times. There's some areas God wants us to grow. You know what's amazing to me? Job chapter one, verse one, now Job was perfect. <laughs> perfect. An upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Can I say it? At the end of the story, he was more perfect. He was more upright. He feared God more at the end of the story than he did at the beginning of the story. <laughs> Turn to chapter 42. Let me give you this and we're done. Chapter 42. One of the easiest things for us to forget is God's never-ending desire for us to grow. And God will use everything and anything He'll use good days. He'll use bad days. He'll use good people. He'll use bad people. He'll use the blessings and he'll use the curses. He'll use whatever he has at his disposal because God's ultimate plan for every one of us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why he said all things work together for good. Then I love God. Look at what it says in Job chapter 42. Three things, quickly and I'm done. We see the hard times in Job's life produced in verse one down through verse number three, it produced a realization. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. You can do everything. Not that you can do everything, but you will do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, however you want to do it, to whoever you want to do it to. Huh? 
and that no thought can be withholding from thee. I know thou canst do everything. Verse 3, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. How many of you have ever said that, done that? I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. You know what he admitted at the end of the story? There's things I can't understand. There's things I am not capable of understanding. It's hard to have a man-to-man conversation with God. Come on. We'd look at somebody and say, look me in my eyeball. we have a man-to-man conversation. You're not going to have a man-to-man conversation with God Almighty. That conversation is going to be way over your head. His thoughts are not your thoughts and his ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, Isaiah 55 says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above your ways and his thoughts and your thoughts. We see the hard times produced a realization. Secondly, it produced a revelation. Verse 5. Verse 4 and 5. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Look at verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. You know what Job said? Through this hard time, I saw you in a way I never saw you before. A part of you, a side of you, a dimension of you, a relationship with you was revealed to me through this that did not exist before this story started. There's just some things about God you will only learn in hard times. It doesn't matter how much you know or how much you think you know about him. Hard times opens our eyes to him in ways we would have never discovered otherwise. But then thirdly, the hard times in Job's life produced a repenting In verse number six, what a verse about a man that God said was perfect and upright and feared God and eschewed evil. The greatest man that God said twice existed on the earth had room for repentance. Huh? Verse 6, wherefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I wondered this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, would there be somebody here today that maybe you've forgotten some of these things and needed God to remind you of them? Maybe you've questioned God And maybe in your questioning God, you've allowed a little bit of bitterness toward God. Maybe you've charged God foolishly in your heart. And you need to get an altar this morning and talk to God about that. There may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shiflin, I'm not even sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I can't say that I'm a born again, blood bought child of God. I don't have that hope of eternal life. I'm not sure I've ever been saved the way the Bible says a person has to be saved. 
in order to enter into the kingdom of God. I can't say for sure that I'm saved and I want you to pray for me. Would you be honest enough this morning? Would you be concerned enough about your soul with heads bowed and eyes closed to just lift your hand up right where you're at? Preacher, pray for me where I can see it. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Several hands went up. You can put them down. We would love this morning. We would love this morning. We would love to pray with you this morning. Listen, we wouldn't embarrass you for all the money in the world. We just want this morning to help you. Maybe you're doubting. You say, preacher, I, I might be saved. I don't know. I think I am. I'm not sure. Well, listen, you can know you're saved. You can know you're saved. And this message wasn't a salvation message, but God's working right now. You can get saved today. It would be our greatest honor to take a Bible and show you some verses from the Word of God on how you can be saved.